the sun was setting over the sparsely forested desert. He squinted out to make the shape of a deer lying just beyond the reach of his bow. Sweat from his brow stung his eyes as he pulled back the string with the arrow firmly fixed between his fingers. His fingers were alive with pain, with pain from so many failed attempts that day. His legs were burning, and his skin was scorched by the sun. His bright red hair that covered his body was brown with dirt. He breathed slightly and steadied his hand. He knew that the distance was near impossible, but he believed in living for the moment and wasn't ready to doubt himself. In just that moment, his fingers relaxed, and the once-curved bow flexed forward, and the arrow he once held now beheld the chance at victory for the established hunter. For a moment, the arrow had the promise, and then, just like the setting sun, it faded. The arrow fell short, and his heart sank. The sun had dipped below the horizon, but the punishing heat lingered in the air. The hunter would return without a victory to celebrate. His anger and discouragement kindled a fire of irritation and compounded the pain of hunger in his stomach. He, much like his father, longed for the savory fire-roasted taste of wild game. But that option was gone. It had fled beyond the horizon. So now he longed for some good, thick, red lentil stew. They called it Edom. His thoughts of comfort and pleasure drove him beyond the soreness and failure of the day. Home. The tents glowed like stars in the distance. As he moved closer to camp, Esau's nose could sense the good news. Lentils, red lentil stew was for dinner. For the rest of that walk, Esau thought only in smell and dreamed only of fullness. He wasn't one to plan past a meal anyways. He walked to the fire pit and was greeted by his brother. Mm, He didn't always think of his brother. He didn't always think of him as his brother as he stayed in the tents with the women most of the time. Uh, He had smooth skin and an overactive mind. Esau could see why he stayed in the tents. Esau saw the disappointment in his family's eyes as he walked in without a freshly killed prize. All of his emotions turned into hunger as he was willing to do just about anything for a little bit of comfort. His brother opened the pot and gave it a stir. The thick, tasty stew made Esau's mouth drool. Esau made a move. I'm weary and hungry, brother. Give me some stew. Jacob responded, It'll cost you your birthright if that's what you choose to do. Esau thought quickly and considered his choice. His birthright was nothing but carrying on the family name and and being responsible to God. The one to be blamed. Sure, there was a promise that went with a blessing, He could be the leader in God's chosen nation. His legacy could be part of a much larger story. He could secure God's blessing and bring him great glory. 
great kings and great prophets could be in his family line. From his generations could even come Christ. But what good, Esau thought, was leadership if it came at such a cost? Esau lived for the moment and the pleasure of the day. Tomorrow was for men too weak to live that way. I'm about to die so you can have your deal. A tasty dinner for a birthright, that's a steal. The first bite was joy, and his stomach was calmed. He felt his shoulders returning. He felt the strength returning, and his shoulders relaxed. He breathed heavy sighs and stretched with a yawn. His eyes were tired, and most of his pain was gone. He lumbered from his place and went to the tent to sleep. Esau didn't know the cost of the act. Jacob wasn't sleeping. He was planning his next attack. The birthright was just the first part, but the blessing was next. With birthright and blessing, Jacob would become the family's head. He would lead the entire clan and be Esau's boss. He would play the long game and be well rewarded. You see, his children's line would be the one recorded. You can read it in the Bible from one to the next. Jacob's entire family line is written for us. From Jacob would come the greatest men, even the greatest there ever will be or has ever been. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come from his line and would sit on the throne next to the Father. Jacob's son, Jacob's, I mean, great, 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 you get the point, son would inherit a greater kingdom than anyone could imagine. All for a bowl of soup. Thanks, Justin, for telling our story. Whenever I think of bad decisions, my mind goes back to the summer of 1986 when uh, I bought a brand new car because I wanted air conditioning. Um, it was we we were in Fort Worth at the time. I went to graduate school in Fort Worth, and uh, the summers are blazing hot there. I'm from California, you know. I'm in Fort Worth. It's hot. It's humid, and we just had a baby. Uh, he was less than a year old, and so I didn't want him to go through a summer like that without air conditioning in the car. So I, I made a hasty decision and bought a brand new car. Now, it was a new car that was hitting the market uh, from another country. I was convinced it was going to be the next Honda or Toyota in dependability. And, you know, I, I figured I had, I had it, uh, I had it figured out. You know, that was, that was the deal. Um, it, in my mind, I had really good reasons for buying the car. It was a couple thousand dollars less than the others in the same class. It was uh, brand new, <laughs> and it had air conditioning. The end of the story is my traveling air conditioner ended up costing me more in the long run than I saved in the short run. Because at about 50,000 miles, a little over 50,000 miles, I blew a head gasket, had to redo the engine. It happened again in the next 10,000 miles. So 
I made that hasty decision. I wasn't thinking through all of the ramifications of that decision. I was focused on three factors, three or four. Had air conditioning. It was brand new. The price was good. And my baby needed air conditioning. So (laughs) I wasn't thinking it through. In this message series, we're going to look at four stories from the Bible. And Justin helped us with that story, the story of Esau. Uh, We're going to look at the worst decisions ever made in the Bible. And we're going to uncover the components of those bad decisions so that we can learn how to make wise decisions. Uh, the Lord doesn't want us to get stuck on the Ferris wheel of bad decisions. Here's a Ferris wheel in a very beautiful setting. You can see it's on a marina, but it's going round and round and round. If you get stuck on that thing, it's going to get old fast. It doesn't matter how beautiful the setting. Life is like this. If, if you get stuck in the same experiences over and over again, in the same in the same uh, life, living the same year with the same view, making the same mistakes. It's about as thrilling as the look on these people's faces as they go around on the, you know, look at that. They don't look, you know, they're not quite sure. I don't know. This is kind of stale. The Bible talks about this in graphic terms. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Pretty graphic. As we talk about each of these four stories, we're going to mind God's wisdom in the Bible so we can stay off the Ferris wheel, so we can learn from our mistakes and make better decisions. Today, we're focusing on Esau's decision to trade his birthright for a bowl of lentil stew. Now, I, I have to admit in my mind, trading it for lentil stew is, makes it even a, a, a worse decision. <laughs> because Costco has samples sometimes of lentils. I don't really pass up samples very often, but I'll walk right by the lentil soup. <laughs> what we learned from Esau's story is, is this. Thinking in the short term makes us pay a high price in the long term. I can identify with uh, Esau. I I fixed a short-term problem when I bought my traveling air conditioner. The decision, though, generated problems that added up to cost more in the long run. Let's, Let's review three components of Esau's horrible decision. First, he made the decision when he was exhausted. Genesis 25, where this story is, 29 through 30 verses say, Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. When I'm tired and hungry, some people call it hangry, you get hangry. You know, when I'm tired and hungry, that is not the time for me to make a major decision. It is not. It's not the time for anyone to make a major decision. When I'm exhausted, I I don't see things very clearly. My mind is foggy, and I can't sort things out very well. In this state, I'm tempted to fix 
the immediate problem just to get relief. Yeah, what the phrase, yeah, whatever, has has cost me. And it may have cost you as well. Um, if I take the time, though, to, to step away from the decision, to sleep on it, to get a good night's sleep, I see things much more clearly in the morning. So that was the first component. Second component, it was a hasty decision. Genesis twenty five thirty one. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. That's the key word. Jacob was Esau's twin brother. Uh, Esau was born first, but Jacob came out holding his heel. You know, families tell stories like that. Yeah, when you were born, you know, Jacob, you were holding on to Esau's heel as you guys came out of the womb. You know, that's kind of something that gets told. Um, Jacob was a crafty dude. He hung out in the tents with the women, but he, he was very, very crafty. He saw an opportunity to make a deal for the birthright with a bowl of soup. And Esau went for it. As the firstborn, Esau was entitled to the birthright. This was a big deal in his day. The birthright of the oldest son meant that if anything ever happened to the father, then that son would become the leader of the family and inherit everything the family owned or most of it. So this this is a big deal. As the firstborn, Esau would receive twice the inheritance of of Jacob. So this is he traded this for a bowl of lentil soup. Very valuable thing. The the horrible decision is he could have got an eight pack at Costco for thirteen forty nine. I mean, he really he really messed up. Um, but anyway, you get he couldn't go. I know, I know. He couldn't go to Costco. It was a lot more work to you know get the lentil soup together than we have the privilege of enjoying the convenience today. But he made this decision in haste because he didn't slow down and give it any thought. The third component of this decision was he lost touch with reality. The statement is a bit dramatic, don't you think? I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? I'm going down right now. I'm about to die. I've been there. When I get hungry, I'm starving. Not, not, not really. Not really starving. Anyway, that's, that's a bit dramatic. Have you ever been there, though? You made a hasty decision because your emotions, wants, or needs are pulling you like gravity into unreality. A major factor in making good decisions is to be in touch with what's really going on in the situation, in the decision. That's, that's very important. If we're going to make good, solid decisions then we must overcome the tendency to allow our internal state to drive the decision. We have to get past that. We can't allow it to drive us. In a few moments, we're going to look at what the Bible says about thinking long-term and a practical process to do it. 
But for now, suffice it to say, we must find a way to stop allowing our internal state to drive those decisions. Our ability to get in touch with reality is a major factor in whether we're going to prosper in this life or not. God has a bias toward prospering. And in Scripture, what prosperity means or prospering means is to make the right kind of progress in life. God wants to help us do that. He wants to help us make the right kind of progress in the things he trusts us with. God wants to show us how to get past ourselves to make really good decisions. Here's an interesting detail of Esau's story. He gained a nickname from this decision. Genesis 25:30. let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. In Hebrew, this, this was originally written in Hebrew, Edom means red. He was nicknamed after the red stew he traded for his birthright. He was covered with red hair when he was born, but the nickname came from the stew. Have you ever made a decision that marked you deeply like this? Maybe your friends, maybe your family's given you a nickname related to it. When you think about it, it shakes you. It really gets to you. It's become a part of your identity because this is your reputation. Here's the good news. Jesus wants to give you a fresh start and a whole new identity. He wants you to be able to trade in that nickname for another name. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. If you decide to follow Christ, he gives you, he makes you new. He gives you a whole new identity. He shows you a better way. If you trust your life to him, he promises to give you what you need to anchor your identity in him. He will help you get past yourself. I was listening to a pop playlist on Apple Music just to get in touch. That may surprise you. Um, I'm not that cool. But I was listening to it because I wanted to get in touch with kind of what's out there. And I, I came across a song. I really like the beat, the melody. It's a kick. It's called A Hundred Bad Days. Very catchy tune. But the lyrics sort of jump out at you as it goes along because it starts out talking about some dumb decisions that the writers made and then the impact of decisions that other people have made on them. And then it states the value of bad decisions in their mind. Listen with me. His goal is to be interesting at parties. I I hope for a lot more than that out of my bad decisions. (laughs) And God wants to help you make so much more of your past than make you interesting at parties. 
He, he wants the frustration you feel from your mistakes and the bad decisions you made to motivate you to seek him and connect with him in a personal relationship through Jesus Christ. This has got what God wants. This is how he's working. He, he gives us life. He makes us responsible for our own decisions. He lets us choose. And he hopes in the choosing that we will come back to him. That we will decide to turn around from going our own way because the Bible says all of us have gone our own way. We began to sin going our own way, trying to be our own boss, living life independent of God. And what God hopes is the frustration from trying to live life on our own will help us turn around, will be the very thing that turns us around to cause us to trust God with our lives. When you decide to give your life to follow Christ, you are connected to God and given a whole new identity. He begins to grow you away from your bad decisions if you trust him, if you keep following him, if you uh, seek his wisdom. He helps you and I get off the Ferris wheel. He doesn't want us to live the same year over and over again. God can use even the worst decisions for our good and the good of others if we if we cooperate with him in it. He he wants to use these for our good if we're humble enough to allow him to use those in our lives. If you've been marked by a bad life determining decision, it doesn't have to define you. You you can turn, you can give your life to Christ and that decision doesn't have to be a a predictor of dismal failure in the future. God wants to give you a future. He wants to give you a hope. He wants to be that hope for you. Jesus can redeem your regrets. If you choose to follow Christ as Lord, he will guide you to make better, wiser decisions as you follow him. He, he's given a great deal of wisdom in Scripture in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, uh, there, there's a, there are very short sayings, generally, that pack a lot of God's wisdom in them. And so we're going to look at some important Proverbs that show us how to overcome short-term thinking. The first one is to be circumspect. I love that word. We don't use it very much anymore. Circumspect means to consider all circumstances and possible consequences to be prudent. If we're circumspect, we aim to get a 360-degree view of the factors in our decisions. Here's what the Bible says. Proverbs 14.8 The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Prudent is a word that describes someone with common sense and good judgment. In other words, they're able to, they're, they're actually, they're thinking ahead. If I do this or if I do that, 
what's going to be the outcome? What, what are the, going to be the consequences of that? I'd like to share with you a practical process you can use to slow down and think through the ramifications of a decision. Uh, Pastor Jim White, he we got the idea for this series topic and message titles and the stories we're using from him. But he says to use a 10-10-10 process to make decisions. Um, the process is from a book with the same name by Susie Welch, columnist and author. This process gives a very practical way to be prudent. Welch says, when you're going to make a decision, think of it in terms of 10 minutes, 10 months, and 10 years. Good way to remember it. Doesn't mean, you know, literally 10 minutes, 10 months, or 10 years. But the idea is that whatever you're thinking about doing or deciding, you think of it in terms of the immediate present, 10 minutes, the near term, 10 months, and the long term, 10 years, the distant future. The 10-minute decisions we should think about before we do them is maybe the risky selfie that could cost your life, like this one. That's crazy. That makes Looking at that just shakes me right up there. The crazy move on the freeway that ends like this. Other 10-minute decisions are getting upset and quitting your job without having another one. Leaving the house in the middle of an argument with your husband or wife. Ten-minute decisions can impact ten months, ten years from now. They, they can have a tremendous impact on our lives. We will typically only think ten minutes out, or maybe ten months, but rarely ten years. We don't tend to think in the long term. Welch says every 10-10 process starts with a question. So Esau's question that he should have asked is, should I sell my birthright for a bowl of soup? Is that a good deal? So it's really helpful as you're facing decisions to narrow down your decision to the core question. The core issue that you're dealing with. Should I quit my job? Should I buy the house with the great backyard but the leaky roof? Should I stay in this relationship or end it? Should I sign my kid up for that sport? Should I hold my son back a year in school? So first, the idea is boil it all down to a question. And ask yourself the question, should I? Slow down, take the time to think through the core decision that you're making. That's what Proverbs is, is telling us. The wise are prudent. They're circumspect. They look all around the issues. So that's first. Ask yourself key questions. Second, what are the consequences of each option in the next ten minutes? What are the possible consequences there? And then ask yourself about 10 months. What are the consequences in the foreseeable future? What can I reasonably expect to happen? Finally, 10 years represents a future that you really can't necessarily see, but you can 
probably guess the trajectory that that decision is going to take you on. You, you can get a good idea as you think about what could flow from that decision that you're about to make. Wrestle with the ramifications. Think it through. We don't typically do that. We don't think about all of the ramifications. Analyze them. Think about the decision. This is a way to be prudent and circumspect. To give thought to your ways like Proverbs instructs us to. It it can help you look carefully from different angles and from different points in time. Next, face reality. When making decisions, we, we need the courage to stare reality down. <laughs> we need to be able to look at To make good decisions, we must avoid wrong assumptions, which are easy. When you get all worked up about something, very easy to choose the wrong assumptions and to just charge in like Esau did. It's really the temptation is to make up our own reality. The last half of the verse I read earlier, Proverbs 14.8, says this. The folly of fools is deception. This word fool is referencing a lazy and selfish approach to life. That's the kind of fool it's talking about. It's, it's a lot of work to check the facts on decisions. It's a lot of work. To ask the question, to boil it down, even to boil it down to the core question and to think things through from all the different angles and 10 minutes, 10 months, 10 years. That's a lot of work. But we're foolish if we don't do that. Financial decisions can be like this, especially when you get the burn for something like a new car or a gadget that promises to make your life easier. That flows right into the lazy approach. It's so tempting to make decisions without looking at the big picture like I did with my traveling air conditioner. Didn't work out too well. It was a bonehead call. The problem with the fool is the deception they buy into. And we need we need God's help to, to give us the courage... To face reality with the decision that we're making. People can also help you come back into reality. When we get caught up in an idea, we're trying to make a decision, we need people we can trust to tell us the truth. We need to hear from them. Those who know us well, they know the area related to the decision, or people with more experience in life than we do. These folks can help us stay away from the folly of deception. Another principle Proverbs points to is don't be hasty. Proverbs 19.2 says, It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. Haste is costly. It's a recipe for missing the right opportunities that could stabilize your life or for diving into things that can ruin you. Haste is dangerous. We need to slow down because thinking in the short term has a high price in the long term. 
Esau despised his birthright in haste for a bowl of lentil soup. And he forfeited something very valuable to him and the generations of his family to come. They paid a price as well. One key to getting the most out of life is to focus on what matters the most in the current decision that you're making. Life flows by. We all make choices. We're making decisions. We need to, we need the grace of God. We need His help to focus on what is most important right here, right now. Esau was hasty. He missed it. God Himself wants to walk with you and He wants to help you. He can help you learn from your bad decisions. He wants to redeem your past, which the word redeem means to buy it back. And he paid a high price for your past on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. He, he paid. He paid for your sin. He wants to redeem our past. He would love to give you a bright future. I'd like to ask you to consider taking next step this morning. If you would, please find the connection card that is in your program and possibly that you began filling out earlier in the service. If you would, take the time to complete the connection card. Uh, and there's some next steps I'm going to suggest. You can uh, sign up for things on there as well. Um, here, here are my suggestions for next steps. My next step today is run a current decision through the 10-10-10 process. Something you're trying to decide, run it through that process. Ask all around it, 10 minutes, 10 months, 10 years. Think it through. And then another step, get the facts on what it means to follow Jesus personally. You, you can check the, the box if, you, if you'd like, if you'd like to meet with someone who can help you clarify your commitment to Christ. There's a place on the right of the back of the connection card to say, contact me about meeting to clarify my commitment to Christ. And then another next step would be to attend next Sunday. We'd love to have you back. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth we see in your word. And we thank you for the way that it, if we line up with it, it frees us up to live the, the best kind of life possible under your guidance, under your leadership. So, Father, I pray as you've laid these steps on our hearts, that you'd give us the strength to take those steps, that we'd be honoring to you and please you, and that we could experience the life you intend for us to experience and live. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.